Mark chapter 4, 1 through 20. And he began, again he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell along rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those who are outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand lest they turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Let's pray together. Father, we believe that this is your word inspired by your Holy Spirit, written down and passed down to us, and that your Holy Spirit illuminates it to our minds and our hearts. And so, God, I pray today that you would teach us. God, I pray today that your word would be the focus. I pray today that as you said, that the seed that is sown is the, is the word, that you would sow the word, that you would sow these seeds of the kingdom deep into our hearts, and that they would grow and that they would produce fruit and that we would be transformed. God, we need you to do this work. We can't do this in ourselves. We can't do this through our understanding. We can't do this through our effort. God, we need your spirit to lead us and guide us and make us new. And so, Lord, we give you ourselves and we give you this time and ask that you would teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. A seed is a pretty remarkable thing. A single seed... An individual seed contains almost infinite potential for life. Think about this. You plant a seed. If it finds the right environment, you water it, and it grows, and it makes more seeds, and then those get planted and grow and make more seeds, and generation after generation and after generation, all of that potential, all of that potential for life exists in a single seed. And this is a seed's purpose, It's not just a seed's purpose to exist as a seed, like, hey, look at my seed. 
It's not just its purpose to be planted into the ground or even to grow, but a seed's purpose is that it would grow up, it would produce fruit, and it would scatter more seed, that it would propagate its kind, that its kind would flourish anywhere it's the soil allowed for it to grow. It multiplies life outside of itself, generations to come. And in this parable, Jesus says that the word is like seed. It's full of potential for life in Christ. Now, we need to understand when Jesus says the word in Mark's gospel, Mark, when he talks about the word, he's not just talking about scripture. He's not just talking about the Bible. He's not just talking about the word of God. The word in the gospel of Mark is the proclamation of the kingdom that Jesus has been preaching since the beginning. It is, behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. This is the word. And so Jesus says the word is what's sown. It's the gospel of the kingdom that is sown. It's the seeds of the kingdom that when planted and rooted down deep will grow and manifest God's kingdom in the lives of his people and in the world. The gospel of of the kingdom is seed and within that seed is infinite potential for life in Christ. When this seed takes root, it's able to manifest the fullness of the kingdom of God and to create in us fruit-bearing, seed-spreading, kingdom-advancing disciples of Jesus. And so Jesus tells this story of the seed of the word being planted. But there's a problem. Not everyone's hearts are ready to receive and respond to the word. Not everyone's heart has the right soil. Now, this is weird language. Let's be honest. Let's pretend like we don't know anything about Christianity or Jesus and just go like, what? My heart is like dirt? I don't, I don't get it. What do you mean? Well, Jesus' favorite teaching tool were parables. And a parable, the word parable comes from two Greek words, one meaning alongside and the other meaning to cast. And so a parable is a story that is cast alongside a teaching in order to assist in understanding. It's an analogy or a metaphor. It's something from the tangible world that we can understand in order to illustrate some truth about the not yet tangible kingdom of God. And so Jesus uses parables a lot. But his parables have a twofold effect. To those who are close to Jesus, to those who are with Jesus, to those who have the opportunity to inquire from Jesus, these parables contain the truths of the kingdom of God. Jesus says, to you has been given the secrets of the kingdom, those who are with Christ. But to those who are, quote, outside, those who have separated themselves from Jesus, these same seeds, these same parables, these same stories that contain eternal truths now conceal the kingdom. And so the parable ends up having a hardening effect on the hearts of those who have rejected Jesus. This isn't because Jesus doesn't want them to receive it. It's not because he doesn't want them to hear it. It's because they have already made up their minds not to hear it. They've already made up their minds not to follow Jesus. They've chosen spiritual blindness. 
And in the ministry of Jesus, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. They may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. I lived a large portion of my life in spiritual blindness. I remember one time in high school, a, one of the members of my water polo team sat across the table from me and another group of guys and gave me what I believe today was one of the most explicit, clearest proclamations of the gospel that I have ever heard. And not only did I reject it, I did not understand it. I kid you not, he, he t- I, t- I made some ridiculous uh, uh, claim that I can buy, I can believe this whole like God and Jesus thing, but like, hell and Satan, that just sounds ridiculous. And he looked at me and he said, Adam, you're an idiot. <laughs> Great way to start a conversation. Then he got to the gospel. He said, he said, how can you claim to believe in something and then disbelieve in the very thing he came to save you from? And it made absolutely no sense. There were other people around the table who rejected his proclamation of the gospel, who did not believe, who were confused by my confusion. They said, Adam, I don't agree with Aaron either, but how are you not getting this? I was blind. It wasn't my time. Years later, I would meet Jesus. He would open the eyes of this blind man. And at one point in my life, he caused me to reflect on this conversation. And I am to this day confused by my confusion. The only explanation is just this spiritual blindness that in this, series, this season of my life, I had chosen to live in, but praise Jesus because he opens the eyes of the blind. He opens our eyes. And so this parable, like a seed, is seemingly small and and simple and concealing hidden truths, the kingdom of God. Do you ever see the, the, the movie Men in Black from back in like the 90s with Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones, they're like the alien hunters, right? The, there's, they're on this quest to find this universe, right? And there's a cat. The cat's name's Orion, and Orion has a belt. Get it? It's got a collar, a little Orion's belt. And on that collar is this, like, simple-looking marble thing. It's just a little jewel. But within that jewel in the movie is contained an entire universe with solar systems and life, and it was just hiding in plain sight. And so, in a way, the secrets of the kingdom of God are contained in the teachings of Jesus, and they're hiding in plain sight. But to those who are spiritually blind, we can't receive them. We can't understand them. And this is what the first parable that Jesus tells in the Gospel of Mark is all about. The various heart issues that prevent us from receiving and responding to the Gospel and allowing it to grow and bear fruit. And so here's something that I want us to remember throughout our time together today. Every single time we hear the Gospel, we have an opportunity to receive it or to reject it, to let it reveal God or to let it harden our hearts. And this is not just for salvation. This is not just Christian for you to sit here and go, yes, Adam, get them. Tell the hard-hearted about their hard heart. 
Tell them about the soil. God needs to till the soil. This is for all of us. The gospel is not just the gateway that gets us into the kingdom. The gospel is the entire path of life that leads us down into a kingdom life. As Tim Keller says, the gospel is not just the ABCs of Christianity. The gospel is the A2Zs of Christianity. And so we have the opportunity as believers, those of you who know Jesus, we have an opportunity when we hear the gospel, that's just not the time that the preacher stops talking to you and starts talking to the non-believers. No, I'm still talking to you. I'm still talking to me. We've got to receive and respond to the gospel every time we hear it. It either has potential to bring life or potential to harden our hearts. We have the opportunity to receive and respond to the gospel. And so this parable is not only for those who do not yet believe, but this parable is for those who are not yet perfect. I don't know about you, but I need this. I need this. So the first kind of heart that the word falls upon is the hard heart. Jesus says that the hard heart is the seed that falls along the path. The path that Jesus is referring to is most likely not the the street outside of the farm, But it's the walking path that traverses the farm, that gets hard after an entire year of foot traffic and beasts of burden walking down these same paths. And so the soil has become hard packed and impenetrable. And so the seed falls on the path and there's no place for it to dig down deep. And so it just sits on the surface only to be eaten by the birds. And so it comes to nothing. Maybe you know people in your life who are hard-hearted. Hard-hearted people, stubborn and obstinate in their resolve to reject the gospel. And sometimes it's confusing, as my story was. But we need to remember that our hearts don't get this way on their own. If you have a hard-hearted person in your life, sometimes they're really difficult. Sometimes they're really hostile to the gospel. Sometimes it can make us angry how, how hostile They are, but we need to recognize that our hearts don't get this way on their own. The ground is hard from being walked on and trampled underfoot and years of being trampled on and walked on and taken advantage of and abused will cause even the most gentle person to form calluses over our hearts to protect ourselves. See, our body has this incredible protective method that when a part of our skin consistently is getting roughed up, it forms a callus over it to protect it. Many of you hardworking people have calluses on your hands showing the signs of the work that God has called you to do. You know what it's like. It's there. It's tougher skin, and it's also less sensitive skin. It's there to protect you from the pain, but it also desensitizes our ability to feel. And so, unfortunately, that's, the, that's true for our hearts as well. The callus that protects our hearts, the callus that we form over time to protect ourselves, whether it's experiences from our childhood or bad relationships time and time again or feelings of abandonment, these same issues that come up, we start to form these calluses over our hearts so that people can't hurt us anymore. But that same callus not only protects us from pain, but it prevents us from experiencing and feeling the power of the gospel and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so the hard heart has lost its sensitivity. 
The gospel doesn't penetrate. And so therefore, the response to Jesus is that Jesus seems irrelevant because they can't feel it. It doesn't make sense. There's no power to it because we're so hardened. We know people who've had such a hard life that the idea of God being a loving God feels absurd. I have people like this in my life. Their reason for rejecting God is there's no evidence in my life that he exists or if he does, that he would be good because why did this happen and this happen and this happen and this happen? And over years and over time, their hearts are hardened. And so the seeds of the kingdom, these seeds that are full of infinite potential for life and grace and healing and beauty and love and glory, they just lie on the surface dormant to a heart in this condition. The gospel feels like magic beans. You remember Jack and the Beanstalk. His family's impoverished. And Jack sells the only thing his family owns for a bag of magic beans. And his mom is furious. She doesn't believe. Right? She, she yells at him. She throws them out the window. And she doesn't realize that within those beans contain the, the, uh, the, the solution to their poverty. It would lead them to the goose who laid the golden egg. And so for people whose hearts are hard, Jesus is just a fairy tale. It's just a story too good to be true and therefore irrelevant. And so the answer to their longings, the the healing for their wounds, the cure for their disease is within their grasp and yet it appears worthless. And so the enemy comes and snatches it away because out of sight, out of mind. If you're not going to look at it, I'm going to take it away so that you can't look at it. And like birds from the air coming and eating the seeds, it takes it away. We know people like this in church. We are people like this. All of us, every single one of us. Now, you might sit and say, Adam, how dare you? How dare you? I've known Jesus my whole life. How dare you say that I have a hard heart? Well, good. I'm I'm glad you've known Jesus your whole life. That's amazing. I'm not condemning you. I'm not like declaring God's judgment on you. But none of us believes perfectly. None of us. None of us believe perfectly, trust God perfectly. Jeff Vanderstelt wrote a book called Gospel Fluency. We're in the process of of, of revamping our entire book table out there. Gospel fluency will be up there eventually. It was supposed to be here this week. My apologies. Uh, Amazon has been slower than usual. And so gospel fluency will be up there. And, and Jeff Vanderstelt believe, uh, uh, begins the first chapter of his book, gospel, gospel Fluency, by saying, I am an unbeliever, and so are you. I read that. I was like indignant. Why are you writing a book about the gospel, you pagan? I am an unbeliever, and so are you. But he continues. He says, when I say we are all unbelievers, I mean, we still have places in our lives where we don't believe God. There are spaces where we don't trust his word and don't believe that what he accomplished in Jesus Christ is enough to deal with our past or what we're facing in this moment or the next. And as much as I don't like to admit it, he's right. This doesn't mean that we haven't truly trusted in Jesus. This doesn't mean that you're not saved. It means that there are areas in our lives where we are not yet fully functioning in maturity and faith. We do not believe perfectly. Remember the theme of the hard heart is that it believes Jesus is irrelevant. Jesus doesn't doesn't affect this part of my life. Jesus, Jesus can have my soul 
but I don't understand how Jesus affects the way I use my body. I don't see the way Jesus affects my relationships. Jesus just came to die and save me and bring me to heaven. I don't understand how he relates to this. And so I would ask you the question, what are you encountering in life that you feel the gospel of Jesus does not address? What are you encountering that, that makes you feel like the gospel is just outside of that realm, outside of Jesus' jurisdiction? Because the gospel applies to every aspect of our lives. And if there is an area where we're not feeling it, might need to ask, have I formed a callus there? Might have been de- desensitized. What are you experiencing in life that the power of God does not overshadow? Where it's just too much, it's too big. Where have you been wounded and trampled to the point that God is not able to help? Maybe this is a theme of abuse in your life, a theme of fears, a theme of tragedy, or maybe it's an event. Like, this happened, I can't make sense of it, I believe in Jesus, I love God, but I don't see how he has anything to do with that. These are the places in our hearts that are still hard. Places, areas in our heart where we're struggling to believe. And like the packed dirt on the path, the soil of our hearts needs to be tilled. And that's probably not going to be a pleasant process. I wish I could tell you that God tilling the soil of our hearts is just delightful and pleasurable and life-giving. But have you ever seen a rototiller? Like these nasty blades on the front that just break up the hard ground and like mix it up with the soft ground underneath. I don't want that touching my heart. Like, that looks like death. It's probably not going to be a pleasant process, but by God's grace, he loves you, and he wants to break up the hard ground so that in the end, our hearts will be a place for the seed to dwell, for the seed of the kingdom to sink down deep so the enemy can no longer snatch it away and so that it can grow. So the seed that falls along the path is bird food, never to manifest its full potential. But there are some seeds that do find soil, but that soil is insufficient. The rocks beneath prevent the roots from reaching the water below, and this is the shallow heart. In Israel, often beneath the layer of soil across the top would be a hard, rocky substrate. And unless it was broken up, there wouldn't be any way for the roots to go down deep and to access the nutrients and the moisture in the soil. And Jesus says that this soil represents the people who have an emotional response to the kingdom. It's exciting at first. They see the healings and the miracles and they receive the kingdom with joy. The promise of heaven gives them hope. But when they learn that receiving Jesus is accompanied with receiving persecution and opposition, just like Jesus has been experiencing in the first three chapters of Mark's gospel, just been accusation after accusation and opposition from the religious leaders, when people realize that receiving Jesus not only comes with joy, but comes with opposition... They lose heart. The hard-hearted are those who judge Jesus. For the shallow heart, he's not irrelevant, but the primary objective in coming to Jesus is making us to feel better. I feel like there's something up with my microphone, so I'm going to grab the handheld.
check. Sorry about that. If the shallow heart, sorry, if the hard heart is this feeling that Jesus is irrelevant, then the shallow heart is that Jesus exists to make us feel better. Jesus makes me happy. Now, Jesus does bring joy and peace into our lives, but this doesn't mean that our circumstances are always pleasant. But the joy that he does bring, it transcends our circumstances. It transcends our difficulty. It transcends the things that come into our lives that are uncomfortable. However, for the shallow heart, eventually, circumstances and opposition from those around us will overshadow the joy Because the roots have not gone down deep. They overshadow the joy. And many times people walk away. There may be a crop at first, but it never bears fruit because there were no roots. It was shallow faith. And Jesus says that the trouble that comes, that causes their is tribulation and persecution on account of the word. For a long time, American Christianity has enjoyed relative safety and a a place in the culture. In fact, decades not too far gone, it was advantageous to be a Christian in society. It was part of what it meant to be a good person, was to be a Christian. And what that caused over decades and decades was a church that fit in with the culture, and it enjoyed peace in the culture, and it was empowered by the culture, and the church was the vessel on this river of culture. But in recent years, there has been a shift in culture. And because the church for so long had never had to learn to go against the grain, we oftentimes no longer know how to swim upstream. And many people today are being carried away by a current of theology and political rhetoric that is anti-Bible, anti-Jesus, anti-gospel, and anti-kingdom. And we have lost the ability to recognize that we never should have been swimming with the culture to begin with. That, that the gospel is always countercultural, that the gospel is always within the culture, seeking the kingdom to spread within the culture and shift the culture and shift the lives of those within the culture. And so for those who follow Jesus, in order to make ourselves feel better, we're in danger of falling away because he no longer is working for us in this culture. And so people water down their theology. They water down the gospel in order to fit within the culture, but eventually they abandon it altogether. I can't tell you how many times my heart has been broken by people I have worshiped with for years who met in my home for Bible studies that when the going got tough, they bailed. They loved Jesus. They had this joy for Jesus. They led worship for Jesus. But as soon as their circle of influences let them know that it was no longer acceptable for them to hold the beliefs they had, and they found themselves within this culture that was now leading away from Jesus because they were so used to being in that, they just went with it. But the kingdom of God is countercultural. Church, we're never going to find our home in this culture, we're never going to find our home in this world. 
You're never going to find your home in a subculture or a political party. We will never find our home in this world. We find our home in Jesus. And as Jesus is sown into us, as the seeds of the kingdom are sown into us and grow and promote flourishing, then we also are like seeds of the kingdom in this world, spreading the good news of the gospel of Jesus so that people within the world can't just follow culture, but now as a Christian, but will also follow Jesus counterculture. I love, have you guys seen the, movie, the, the show, The Chosen? It's a beautiful, beautiful, for those of you who haven't seen The Chosen, it's a very artistic uh, uh, explanation of, of the life of Jesus using gospel stories and weaving it in with historical fiction. And one of the things I love about it is it just shows the heart of Jesus, the humanity of Jesus, and it helps you Learn what first century uh, Israel was like. It can be a little history study. Um, but the, the, I love the, uh, the, the, the title scene. The title scene when the theme song is playing, it's a bunch of fish just swimming. And then there's one blue fish that's swimming against the grain. And eventually that blue fish, it touches some of the fish and it turns them blue and they start swimming against the grain. The life of Jesus is one that swam against the grain. The life of a disciple of Jesus is one that swims against the grain. We're not countercultural for the sake of just being countercultural. We're countercultural because Jesus is counterculture and he wants to revive the culture and he wants to lead the culture into the truth and love and worship of him. And so he has called us not to just go along with the culture silently going like, I'm going along with this, being a Christian, just believing different things. And then, no, he has called us to go against it and to show how the gospel of the kingdom doesn't just fit in this world, but revitalizes the world and makes it new. The kingdom of God is countercultural. Again, don't allow your faith to exempt you from searching your own hearts to uncover this rocky substrate, to uncover this shallow heart. There are areas in our faith that may be shallow. The seeds on the path are the hard heart, Trampled by life, Jesus appears irrelevant. The seeds on the rocky path is the shallow heart, preventing the roots from going down deep. Jesus makes us happy for a while. And the seeds that take root among the thorns is the divided heart. The divided heart sees Jesus as just a great addition to life. Notice how the soils get progressively deeper, but they remain unfruitful. May not have a hard heart may not have a shallow heart, may just be a divided heart. I've got a full plant, but there's still no fruit. And if I can be completely honest, I believe that of all the various heart problems in the church, this one might be the most rampant. Like the shallow heart, this person probably calls themselves a Christian. They might have sound theology. They might believe right things. They might say the right things. They might be connected to the church. But Jesus is just one of many priorities in their life. The kingdom of God is rooted alongside our own kingdoms. And Jesus says that the cares of the world, the cares of our own kingdoms, the deceitfulness of riches and quote unquote other desires grow up with it and choke it out. And so it is fruitless. It never reaches maturity because our hearts are divided and spread too thin. Even the good things in our lives, if we give them the same place of priority, they can be hindrances to spiritual maturity. This happened to me this week on Friday. I was literally writing this message and God reminded me, hey, what are you doing? I was like, I'm just writing my sermon for you, Jesus. 
And he's like, you spend any time with me today? I said, no, I got this to do. Like, this is good work. I got I to gotta do this. I got to write this sermon. And God was like, you sure about that? I was like, okay. <laughs> I got to a point where I had to realize, I had to remember that, that my attention was divided. I'd, been, I'd allowed a good thing to draw me away from intimacy. My, my ministry was no longer flowing from intimacy. My intimacy, or sorry, my, my ministry was my focus. I had to stop and just remember who I am apart from the work that he has called me to do. I had to remember that I don't exist to preach. I don't exist to write sermons. I don't exist to be your pastor. I don't exist for any of these things. I exist to be with Jesus. I exist to worship Jesus. You don't exist for any of these things. You exist to be with Jesus. You exist to worship Jesus. And so all of these good things, family and marriage and career and all of these beautiful things that God has given you to bless you because he's good, If we start elevating those things to the level of Jesus, it will only lead us away from Jesus. Only when Jesus is our top priority, only when Jesus is preeminent above all of our priority lists, will we be drawn to him and actually then become better mothers and fathers and husbands and wives and brothers and sisters and employees and all of these things. Someone once said that when we make a list of our priorities, Jesus should not be number one. Jesus should be the title. When we make the list of our priorities, they all have to come under the lordship of Christ. God's not asking us to abandon good things. Rather, it's our commitment to Jesus and to his kingdom that empower our commitment to these things. We need to make sure that they don't share a throne with Jesus, though. They're good. Enjoy them. Let them point you to Jesus, but they are not Jesus. It's not wrong to desire these things. Jesus says that the other thing that draws people away is the deceitfulness of wealth. It's not wrong to desire the ability to provide for yourself. It's not wrong to want to make a lot of money. It's not a bad thing, but if our pursuit of riches carries us, uh, causes us to put kingdom priorities aside, then our money has become a false god and rivals our worship of Jesus. So if you want to know whether money is leading you to God or leading you away from your relationship with Jesus, then you need to ask yourself, what would your relationship with Jesus be, look like if you lost it all? If you lost everything, How would that affect your relationship with Jesus? Or ask yourself if you would be willing to part from a luxury that you love in order to be obedient to Jesus with your money. See, our idols will slide by undetected until we start getting serious. Our idols will slide by under the surface until we start asking the hard questions. But your idols will not only let you down, Money will not only let you down, career will let you down, fame will let you down, status and power will let you down, your social circles will let you down. All of these things will not only let you down, but they will take you down. The false gods in our lives not only disappoint us, but drag us down. And so we need to identify them as what they are, not necessarily getting rid of these good things in our life. You can't come to me and say, you know, I realize my marriage is an idol, so I'm leaving my spouse. No, that's that's not how to do this. We just need to make sure that they are prioritized appropriately under Jesus. One of the most dangerous aspects of both the shallow heart and the divided heart is that there is life. 
A plant it has sprouted. And so we might be tempted to justify ourselves by that little sprout, that little growth, that little life, that little green shoot that we see in our lives that's associated with Jesus. But it may not ever, ever actually be fruitful. And so the people that these soils represent may call themselves Christians for a season or for their entire lives, but Jesus is just one of many gods to them. And so there are many good and godly things that we can point to in our lives, but who we are becoming is not, we're not being conformed into the image of God. It's we're being conformed into this mixed bag of desires that we have, of which Jesus is only a part of. And that's who we're becoming We'll never reach maturity in Christ. We're not being conformed to his image. We're being conformed to the image that we are creating for ourselves. And so Jesus is in the picture, but he's not the whole picture. And it's fruitless. And a fruitless life is inadequate at best. But what would a farmer do with a fruitless tree? I know some of you are in agriculture. What would you do with a fruitless plant? Well, Jesus tells another parable in Luke 13. Beginning in verse 6, he says, A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look for, th- uh, look, for three years now, I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. See, a faith that does not bear fruit will not remain. But God hasn't given up on you. He wants you to bear fruit. And for some of us, this means that God is going to do a little digging in our life. He may even add some manure. You ever had seasons in your life where it's just like, this stinks? It's like trudging through manure. Sometimes God has to bring the ugly to the surface. Sometimes God has to remind us that it's, it's through these difficult things that we actually find that Jesus satisfies, that it actually provides the opportunity to, to pursue him. And so we may find our lives getting a little smelly and uncomfortable, but it's evidence that God hasn't abandoned you. He wants you to bear fruit. So God wants to till the soil of the hard heart. He wants to remove the stone from the shallow heart. He wants to prune and fertilize the divided heart. But all of this is to give us a fruitful heart. The fruitful heart is the one who receives the good news of the kingdom and responds to it. Jesus is not only relevant. He not only brings joy. He's not just a good addition to our life, but Jesus is our treasure. The fruitful heart receives Jesus as our treasure. Is Jesus your treasure? Is Jesus my treasure? It fluctuates. Sometimes I get really excited about something else. Not that I've abandoned Jesus, but I've just remembered like, oh no, it's not this. It's not this sermon that I'm writing. It's not the, 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 the reason that I live. I live for Jesus. And the implication of the fruitful heart is that the enemy can't snatch away the seeds of the kingdom. The trials and persecutions don't scorch and kill because the roots go down deep and the concerns of the world don't choke out our faith. It doesn't mean that these things go away, but we need not fear them. In fact, the presence of all of these things are actually an opportunity for the fruit to become more powerful, more visible, more beautiful. And the world sees the life that is truly satisfied in Jesus 
Jesus alone, this kind of life, this kind of fruitful heart, this kind of treasuring Jesus makes a life that's like an oasis in the desert, like a bright light in the night sky and like fruit to the hungry mouth. It becomes something we talk about countercultural. It stands out. It's salt and light. It's beautiful. It's not known by the world. It's recognized by the world. It's attractive to the world because Jesus is beautiful in that life. If Jesus is beautiful, if Jesus is our treasure, it will only shine through our lives and people will see a God that is more beautiful than anything that they have possibly imagined. Jesus is better than we've been told. And we have an opportunity to worship him in such a way that makes the world see that Jesus is worthy of our worship. To worship Jesus in such a way that invites others to worship him with us. And it's a beautiful thing, the fruitful heart. And so then what are these fruits produced by the heart who fully trusts God? You know, I contemplated even talking about specific fruits this week. And this is why. Because if you leave this place with a list of fruits to pursue, you've lost the point. You've missed the point. The goal isn't to leave this place and go, now, okay, I've got Jesus. Now I need to add love and I need to add good works and I need to add righteousness and I need to uh, cut this sin out and I need to do, those things are all really good. But if you leave this place with this divided focus on all of these other things that you need to put in your life in order to make your relationship with Jesus better, you've missed the point. We don't go add all of these things to our lives. We stick our roots deep down into the soil of Jesus and we abide in him and he abides in us. And Jesus says, if I abide in you and you in me, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so we don't leave this place going, these are this list of everything I need to do. Oh my gosh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Got to add all these things to my life. No, add Jesus to your life and he will add those things to your life. He will manifest those things. Fruit is just that. It's fruit. It's the natural product of a tree being healthy. We like to take our kids apple picking and blueberry picking and all sorts of things. And they love walking through the farms and, and, and picking fruit. Never in my life have I ever walked through an apple orchard and heard a tree go, apple. If you ever hear a tree straining to produce fruit, don't eat that fruit. That's not good fruit for you. That's not for you. We're not like these trees struggling and straining and trembling, trying to produce fruit. The goal isn't to leave this place and focus on the fruit. Our focus is Jesus, and Jesus produces the fruit. It's to seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. And we know that the fruit of the Spirit is those things. Love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. But there's another fruit that comes when we receive the seeds of the kingdom, another fruit that is evidenced in this psalm, the fruit of a life of a fruitful heart that receives the seeds of the kingdom spreads more seeds. Spreads more seeds of the kingdom. We become sowers entrusted with the secrets of the kingdom. And by our lives and our words, we declare and we demonstrate the good news of Jesus. That which we have freely received, we freely give. This is the fruit of a full heart, full of the kingdom. 
We don't leave this place pursuing the fruit. We follow Jesus and he adds all of these things to our lives. Abide in Christ because apart from him, we can do nothing. And all of this is possible because you see, Jesus is not only the sower in the parable. Jesus is the seed. Jesus is the son of God sown into flesh. He's the incarnate son of God sown into the world. He is the righteous son of God who deserved no death but was sown into the grave. And by being united with him, Jesus was sown into our death. And in his resurrection, then, there is power to till the ground. There is heat to melt the heart of stone. There's power to burn up the weeds. And upon believing and receiving Jesus, we are sown into Christ. We are sown into his new life. He's sown into our hearts and he bears fruit in us and through us. Our only work is to simply believe, to continually receive receive and respond to the good news of Jesus. He breaks up and purifies the hardest and most tumultuous hearts. Church, do whatever you have to do to find a place in your heart for the seed of the kingdom to rest. Do whatever you have to do to find a place where that seed can fall and fall under soil and drive away the birds and water it with the word. Do everything you can to find a place to receive and to protect the seed of the kingdom, which is the life and death of Jesus Christ. Find any place in your heart. Maybe it's not here. Maybe it's not there. Maybe you still got hard hearts from this area of your life, this thing, and shallow hearts over here, and you don't understand completely, and all of those things. But do whatever you can to find a place for that seed to live because it will sprout. It will shoot its roots deep down into the heart of God. It will transform your life. Do whatever you can. Do whatever you can to receive that. If there's any place in your heart right now where you go, oh, that makes a little bit of sense. Do it. Receive it. Respond to it. What is God calling you to do in faith and in courage? Do it. Take that step. And it will take courage. Remember the rototiller. Takes courage to let that break up the ground. But do whatever you can do to to receive the seed of the kingdom, which is to believe. To believe and to trust in Jesus. By trusting him, no matter the previous conditions of our hearts, he gives us a new heart that's able to produce the fruit of righteousness. And this is the opportunity that we have now as a church. Many of us have received from the Lord. In our lives, many of you are receiving a word from the Lord, an encouragement from the Lord, conviction of the Holy Spirit in your life right now. But now is the time to respond. Don't just let it sit there. If you just let it sit there, the birds will come out of sight, out of mind. But if we respond to it, if we press it down in the soil, if we water it in the word and we drive away the enemy and we praise God for that little tiny seed that looks seemingly insignificant, but when it grows, it will blow your mind. The love of God will transform you completely from the inside out. Do whatever you can to not just receive, but to respond. To ask him to give us fruitful hearts to open our hands and let go of the hardness of heart, to let go of the rocky ground, to let go of the thorns that we hold on to. We let go of these things so that we can receive what God desires to give because what he desires to give is his presence. 
He desires to give us himself. So let's go to his presence now in prayer and ask him to do this in us. Jesus, we love you. Thank you that you took the time to sow the word into the world. That you took, you had love and, and, and a desire to sow your life into ours. So that that seed could sprout and bring life where there was death. Lord, to bring growth where there was hard-packed soil, to bring fruit where previously we were barren. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters here who know you. I think sometimes God, sometimes, and I don't, I don't, I don't know, Lord, uh, who this is for. Sometimes it feels like taking a step of faith as a Christian is more difficult than taking that initial step of faith that made us a Christian. And if, if you're here and you're wrestling with this, like you know God's calling you to do something, to take a step of faith, confess a sin, whatever that might be, in fact, if you're thinking of something right now, then this is for you. Sometimes it can feel more difficult to actually do that thing than it was to give your life away to Jesus to begin with. But it only feels that way. Because becoming a Christian, putting your faith in Jesus, is walking through the Red Sea. It's, it's completely going from slavery to freedom. And those who walked through the Red Sea... Right, we're eventually going to have to put their foot in the Jordan. Only God didn't stop the waters until they put their foot in the water. And the waters parted. And I'm telling you, whoever you are, that this thing in front of you seems insurmountable. You're waiting for God to make it abundantly clear. But God's just asking you to put your foot in the water. And if you've crossed the sea, you can put your foot in the Jordan. God, I pray that whoever that's for, maybe it's for me. God, that we would receive it. And the good news of your kingdom, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Lord, we would remember that you spared not even your own life. We can give our lives to you. We can give our obedience to you. Lord, we can give everything to you. Pray that you would lead us to respond appropriately in Jesus' name. Amen.